0: Welcome to Blast Beats and Bicycles, the Lockdown Editions. Got a great show for you today. We've got the boys from Trita in the virtual studio, Taylor Freilich, Jason Sayoto, and Mike Moretsky. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Good evening. Thank you for having me. Howdy. Great to get a chance to talk to you. Uh, I'm excited to, to talk about a bunch of stuff. You've done some things recently here that are pretty exciting, um, but I think we need to start by going back in the Wayback Machine and talking a little bit about the origins of the band. First of all, how long have you all been together?
1: The three of us have been together since, I believe, late 2017, but Moretsky and I started playing together in around 2012, 2013, mm-hmm. I believe. And then we met Jason, not quite randomly, but, you know, one of the, uh, the, the stars aligning situations and uh, it's been full speed ahead ever since. And he was kind of the, uh, the odd shaped puzzle piece that we were always looking for that didn't know we needed. So it's been about 2017 since Jason joined.
0: And, and Jason, you're not from the twin cities, am I right? Yeah, that's correct. I, uh, I'm originally
2: from Northern California, um, I grew up outside of Sacramento, and then I lived in Portland for about 10 years, and then I, uh, I moved out here with my wife um, very, very late 2016, it actually was, so the, it was December 2016 was the first time that the, the three of us got together. Um, oh, Jesus, it four years. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, mm. it's coming up on four years, believe it or not, um, but yeah, so I, uh, I'm not from here, but, but I, uh, I'm really, really fortunate because I, I came here, I got really, really antsy, uh, and you know, put up a Craigslist ad on a whim and kind of feel like I hit the lottery by meeting these two guys.
0: That's fantastic. And so it literally was the old the old school uh, ad in the newspaper, so to speak, that brought you all together, uh-huh. huh? It, it's one of those things
2: that we, uh, I, I didn't really know anybody out here and I didn't really know what else to do other than that. It seemed like there was a handful of listings that were like sort of relevant and like active and it felt like the first place that I I guess I was going to go and it just it, it worked out it was, it was, it's very 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 serendipitous, serendipitous very kiss net
1: to uh, piggyback Jason's answer was we I had made Mike and I had made a, an ad for you know guitar player wanted and I had posted that and there's always this five or six minute lag before you can see it on the the, the digital uh, bulletin board if you will and so I remember Hitting posts and hitting refresh to so I can see it, and in that five or six minute window is when I came across Jason's ad saying that there was a guitar player wanted or a, a guitar player available rather, excuse me. And he even referenced a couple bands that we were into, and uh, even even uh, said something along the lines of, "I won't be a dick. I'll make sure I always pay practice space rents, and uh, I'll make sure that there's always amazing memes in the band thread." And uh, I'm happy to report that that has been the case. So uh, it, it was it was almost serendipitous in a way.
0: You know, that's it. It's always seems like the the cost of doing business is to have a you know somebody who's not going to be a dick, someone who's going to carry their their share of the weight. And the fact that you're getting killer memes out of it, it that seems just like gravy.
1: It's it's compound interest
0: as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> How uh, how did you each get your start in music?
3: I got started in music um, when I was pretty young. My uncle had a band, and I always really liked watching the drummer play. And so I spent years begging my mom to uh, let me learn the drums and practice drums. And so um, inevitably she caved around the fifth grade, and as I started band, and then through being in band... I uh you know learned the learned the craft and got a kit and been doing it ever since. I
1: was never musical growing up at all and I really had zero interest in it in grade school when everyone else was doing orchestra and band I was not into it at all. I really got into skateboarding around 6th or 7th grade and I was exposed to a bunch of music that I had never heard of because my parents were yuppies that listened to Kenny Loggins and Hall & Oates, which is fine, but not rock music. And so through these skate videos, I uh, was exposed to Slayer and Black Sabbath and a bunch of other bands that were a lot heavier. And in in seventh grade, my friend and I were uh, listening to Weird Al and Smells Like Nirvana was playing. And we wanted to hear what the original song sounded like. And so we put that on and I was completely blown away. And he said, dude, you should buy a bass and we should start a band. And I never looked back. That's how I started with the bass guitar. And when it comes to singing, I used to work at a McDonald's and I was in the drive through. And this one woman would come through like once or twice a week. And she would always compliment me on my voice. And she said, you know, you probably have a phenomenal singing voice. And I never really thought about it. And then one day at band practice, someone suggested that I sing a part. And uh, that's how I got started with singing. So I have zero training in anything. And uh, I just kind of, I, you just got to go for it, as I'm told. Just just go with the full scent. So that's
0: been my mentality. What about you, Jason? Yeah, so I, uh,
2: I'm... I'm very fortunate that my my mom played piano um and so she stuck me in piano lessons when I was pretty young and because of that I kind of picked up some pretty good ear training and just kind of figured out how to play some stuff and from there I picked up a guitar when I was about 13 and just ran with it I started I started a band right away I I was really fortunate that I was exposed to punk and metal and stuff like that like when I was really really young like I have a I have a great story about how my best friend and I, when we were kids, we would pool our allowance together and go and buy like punk CDs uh, and cassette tapes because I'm I'm that old at this point, and um and so we would we would go and we'd buy buy music and listen to it together and I was really interested in starting a band so I did and so I've been doing the the punk band thing essentially for you know close to the last 20 years or so.
0: So, the, the, the name of the band is, is somewhat unique. It's uh, Trita, spelled T R I T A. Can you give me a little of the backstory and what the origin of the name of the band is?
1: Yeah, so for the longest time, like my high school band had a very uh, generic band name where there's literally a thousand of them out there. And uh, we did never really thought about changing it, but if you were to put it into the great algorithm that is the internet, you would never ever find us. And so when Moretzky joined the band and things got a little bit more serious about us putting, you know, something out there, uh, we decided to change the name. And I'm a huge fan of the one word band names. And around this time, the trope of, uh, you know, verb, the noun was such a big thing. We uh, pierce the veil, ask the sky, that, that whole bit. And that was always really dated and cringy to me. And it sounded like you needed to have a certain style of haircuts to be a part of it. And I didn't, I never really cared for that. Uh, And then there was also like the, the plural noun domiciles, birds, you know, whatever it is. Uh, And so I wasn't into that either. And so uh, we were always a three piece. So I've always been in three piece bands for, uh, uh, for numerous reasons, but, Three was really, really big, and so I wanted to use try T-R-I, in some way, and I just came up with a bunch of different, essentially, like, made-up words that looked cool, and we were, like, the only band, so if you were to type in that word, plus band, into uh, to Google or Bandcamp, we would come up, so there was, you know, wasn't a whole lot of uh, consumer confusion, if you will, and we kind of landed on Trida, and then uh, I've, I've been told that it's also a deity, uh, I, I think in the, uh, it might be the Hindu religion, I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, but I think it's pronounced differently, but it's supposed to be like either a three-headed snake or a three-eyed snake or something like that, but I've never been able to verify that, but other people have reported that to me, but uh, it's, it's just a total made-up name, it looks cool on a t-shirt, and that's really all the thoughts that went into it, was I wanted it to be uh, easy to find on the internet, because our last one wasn't.
0: You know, it seems like that's uh, that's very much in the tradition of a lot of great rock bands over over the years. You know, if find a good uh, short, catchy name, and make sure it looks good on the t-shirt.
1: All, all the good ones are taken. Sleep. You know that that's taken. Rush. The, the, all of those are taken. So uh, I I even went through like the dictionary to see if I could find like newer words that are or I guess older words that I didn't know. So, new to me words, and uh, yeah, so I just came up with the I just went with the made up word, and uh, that there was no uh, twitter what the the handle on Twitter was available, the bandcamp, facebook all that all that fun stuff was available, so I just kind of went with it
0: so the, the three obviously has uh, has some importance for the band uh, from a naming perspective. Did you always set out to be a three piece band?
1: Me personally, yeah, I know uh Jason always jokes about a second guitar player, but that falls on deaf ears <laughs> we just i would just rather get asked ask for like a Luke pedal or something uh but uh but yeah i
3: i'm
1: i'm i'm a I'm a huge fan of the three piece for numerous reasons van space getting together and getting things done the uh, the the more people there's there's it's it sometimes it's difficult to get things to get work done and then you have more personalities clashing and so i think that having three members you have the opportunity to kind of hit the saturation point of you can have a lot of stuff going on you can have I look at some of the great bands in history they were three pieces or a three piece with a vocalist like black uh like black sabbath or led zeppelin these are uh a bunch of talented musicians, some of them doing multiple instruments, sometimes multiple instruments at a time. And then you just add the human voice to it and you have a huge band. So okay. uh, I've always wanted to be in a three-piece. That's definitely my, that's one of my hills to die on.
0: You guys describe your sound as post-metal, post-hardcore, post-rock, and pre-death. <laughs> Explain <laughs> to me what <laughs> what that means.
2: I, I think that we we do a good job of, Teetering that line between, you know, like post-anything like post is always like kind of like hard to put a finger on, but I always think of like post-punk and post-hardcore really surmised in the band Fugazi. And mm. it's you take this really visceral, incredible energy from a band like Minor Threat, and you've now distilled it into something that can go into different directions instead of a singular direction. Because Minor Threat was, was a, a really, really angry like, aggressive band, and I think that Ian Mackay wanted to branch out of that and do something different and explore, like, different emotions and do do different things, and I think that that is, like, a really kind of encompassing sort of value that I think goes into a lot of our music, and so we do kind of toe that line between, like, you know, like, hardcore and metal and rock and, and you know, kind of a whole bunch of different stuff, and so that's kind of the joke of, like, post-hardcore, post-metal, post-rock. And then the whole thing with pre-death is that, like, you know, post, 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 but then pre-death, meaning, like, we're just going to make this as the sounds that we make before we die.
1: Uh, my, my take on it is uh, very similar to Jason's, where there are certain songs that don't check enough boxes to be post-rock, but then we'll have a song like The Isolationist, which is a lot of looped guitars, a lot of layers, it keeps building kind of sparse vocals where it's not a whole lot going on vocally, but there's a lot going on
3: instrumentally
1: and it's kind of cinematic. But then we'll have a song like Tunguskin, which checks almost all of the boxes for uh, post-hardcore. And then we'll have songs that fall in between those two that is kind of like the post-metal thing. Or we'll have really long songs that, again, are cinematic, a lot of pedals, time signature changes and basically the pre thing is like what Jason said is even if we were, even if we had like a, uh, we attempted to write a country song, but it was through the lens of the three of us, it would still kind of come off like tribe is doing it. So that's kind of the predest thing is we can, we don't set out to be like, all right, we have to do post-rock. You, oh, there's too much singing or Oh, there's too much yelling. So we can't do that. And it's just whatever feels right, and whatever we're whatever we're aiming for, we're in the practice space, and what sounds good, and whoever has the best idea, that's what we go with.
0: Is there is there one thing that you'd say is a signature or like your calling card musically?
1: Uh, a bunch of stuff is in fives, but that's I think that's just a, a coincidence. That's yeah, I'm gonna go with volume, loud.
3: <laughs> that's probably that's probably it. We're
1: we're trying we're we're getting better about not always being loud because it's easy to go to 11, but then uh, you can't go to 12. So if you spend a lot of time, uh, you know, halfway, at the halfway point, you know, 70% volume, when you really want to, when you really want to let loose, then. It's more impactful, so I'm going to go with volume as kind of the calling card. But uh, but we're growing, we're maturing.
0: You mentioned Fugazi uh, and a couple of their earlier hardcore bands um, as you know somewhat of an influence. What are some of the other bands that you look to for musical inspiration, and and what do you take away from them that adds to your sound?
3: I feel like the the big two, at least for Taylor and I, and correct me if I'm wrong, Taylor is like botch and these arms are snakes.
1: I'm a huge These Arms Are Snakes fan. An enormous These Arms are snakes fan. So yeah. uh botch I also I also really, really, really respect. But these arms are snakes I think is a little bit closer for what we do in the band. But I, I would love to do botch stuff, but that's uh it's an art form to pull that off.
3: We have we have like mobile Botch small moments. ones, I feel like. Yeah, like yeah. very small bot moments with the elongated. These are their snakes parts.
1: Yes, that makes that makes perfect sense. Uh, a, a another one. Uh, we have so just to give you a little bit of a background. Uh, we have a bunch of bands that we each individually like. That the other two are like that is trash. And then there will be a couple a couple bands where two out of the three guys like us. And then the one soul dude is like, no, that is garbage. And, and then there's a few bands that all three of us are really, really into. Uh, one of them is the band Isis that we love. They are you know, post-metal juggernauts. And another lesser-known band that Jason actually introduced to us. And the second I heard it, I was like, okay, yeah, this has been missing from my life. But it's a band from England called Bosque, like the Star Wars character. And they are phenomenal. I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of Bosque. So Isis and Bosque are, are two really big bands that I think we draw from sonically. Uh, and again, I have a bunch of other individual uh, I'm, uh, bands that I'm a fan of that I might like, but the other two don't necessarily like. So it's it's good because if all three of us like the same four bands, then it's just gonna it's gonna sound like one giant ripoff. So it's good to have a little bit of tension and a little bit of push and pull.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm curious to to dive dive into that a little bit more. Your your first record, The Good Night, came out in 2018. Uh, not long after you all got together, I'm guessing. And so I'm, I'm curious to know what your songwriting process was like on that first record together.
2: I think that the the whole process was really strange, to be honest, because we were all, you know, we didn't really know each other that well. We were all at the same time, like, very, very committed to making a band work. Um, like I, I've, Like I said, I've been playing music for a long, long time. I know when people are just like, showing up at band practice and, like, dicking around and I know when people, like, want to actually, like, do something and it became very clear very quickly that Mike and Taylor really wanted to do something but I think that part of I think part of their process considering that I was, you know, the third of three guitarists that, like, were kind of, like, residents before I had arrived, like, I think that there were some kind of demons that needed to be exercised in a certain sense. Like, there was, like, hearts that, you know, I think were, I think that they felt strongly about that never really got to see come to life and come to fruition. Um, and so they came they came to the table, like, really prepared and really motivated to, like, do something that was going to be fresh and also at the same time, like, it was a clean slate. Like, it, they had the opportunity to, like, put forth ideas and not have anyone have any sort of, like, prerequisite or, like, a history of, you know, liking or not liking something. And so... It was a it was a learning experience for all of us. Um, but it was also one of those things where the good night is great because I I think it's great because like we literally like didn't really say no to anything. Like there was the, the songs came together pretty easy. Um, we just sort of we all are were really kind and supportive of each other's ideas and it it just kinda came to like, Hey, I wanna do this and the other people were like, Yeah, let's try it. Let's do it. And out of that, I think we all put forth a really positive effort. And I think that those just kind of came together. One thing
1: that uh, was really, really apparent was when Jason joins, you have this fresh energy and you have this, Muretsky and I are spinning our, our tires in the practice space for you know months on end, not being able to get anything done. And when Jason came onto the scene and joined, we were able to... It's just that that fresh energy. Anytime that you start a new band, you're able to get that first that first record or EP out, just because there's so many ideas and everything's so positive. And it's puppy love. You're in the puppy love stage, just like when you used to have any relationship. There's that beginning, uh, almost you know, a fairy tale uh, romance of this is just so great. This is amazing, and that really came across because we were able to hammer it out. And uh, it, it came together almost seamlessly. It was very, 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 very re- rewarding. And then that kind of happened with Tunguskin, too, where we picked up where we left
0: off. Did Did you find that uh, your sound came together pretty quickly? I mean, did you guys have a pretty cohesive vision once Jason joined the band of what you wanted to be?
1: Yeah, I wanted it to sound like Jason was playing guitar, but I didn't know who to ask to make it sound like Jason was playing the guitar. So when we met Jason, it was perfect. It's like, I didn't know I was missing this, but yeah, he checked a bunch of the boxes uh, of where I really can't put my, my finger on it. It was very, um, it was organic and I think it was Jason stepping out of his comfort zone, but just enough where it wasn't a complete departure from something that he's done before, but it was far away enough so that he could say that this is, Maybe slightly out of my comfort zone, and so he was just the missing puzzle piece that we were looking for for a while. He he had the same mindset that we did, and without even uh, acknowledging it, there was really no interview process. Uh, I just remember saying like, "Hey, I need you to play this, and I'm going to play this against it," and he did it like first try. And I was like, "Okay, this is the dude. This is this is this is perfect." And uh, yeah, it was pretty much just kind of off to the races from, from the get go. And there was some growing pains and there was some, uh, the learning curve of establishing, uh, a language with, with your bandmates. You, you need to have kind of the, uh, the bank of, uh, you know, how you talk to one another as far as when you're writing music or, uh, it, it's, it's the, yeah, it's just the developing of a relationship. So from inside jokes to, you know, how you, uh, put forth an idea, listening to one another. Uh, it it was really healthy, which Mretzky and I unfortunately didn't have that. Uh, we didn't have that luxury, uh, in, in the past. So we met Jason. It was a a breath of fresh air and, uh, one of those, like, this is awesome. One, a, 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 a powerful moment. So, uh, so yeah, so it was, it was pretty effortless.
0: That's fantastic. It seems like this would be a good time for us to give people a chance to, to hear some of your music, and one of my favorite songs off of the first record, The Good Night, is Intend. Can you uh, give us a little bit of an uh, insight into what we should listen for as we play the song?
2: There's a couple things I, I would probably point out. I think the first thing is that the song is in 5-4, is in um, the time signature 5-4, and I think that very quietly, I think that the star of this song is Mike. Um, I don't think it's easy to play like a really in the pocket, like really sitting on top of the beat, like super groovy and at the same time heavy 5-4 beat. And he navigates through this song, changing styles, changing beats, doing fills and doing stuff like really really effortlessly and I think that a lot of people don't realize the song is in like a non-traditional time signature because I think that the drum part's just like it was it was one of those things when, we, when this is the this is the first song that the three of us ever wrote together, and when we started playing it, it was like I, if I remember correctly, like this is probably what Mike played the first time. It was probably like ninety five percent of what ended up going on the record. It's just like he hit it out of the park the first try. It was just great right out of the gate. So I, I always I would always point out the drums on, on intend.
0: That seems like a perfect uh, lead-in to the song, and so we'll uh, we'll drop the needle on intend by Trida. Intend by Tridoff of their first EP, "The Good Night," and we are in the virtual studio here on Blast Beats and Bicycles with Taylor, Jason, and Mike. And uh, Mike, we talked going into that song about the time signature, that five-four um, signature. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Uh, Jason spoke quite willingly of your uh, ability to stay on top of that beat and give it some nice groove. And I'm sort of curious to hear your your thoughts on playing that tune.
3: Um, yeah, when it came to that, that was actually a lot of that song was riffs that Taylor had, uh, written and I had just kind of jammed to in our months leading up to Jason's arrival. And so, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to have a lot of practice figuring out what I wanted to do with, with the baseline. And so then, uh, you know, really Jason just showed up and, and made me look good.
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: So your second EP, Tunguskin, came out almost exactly a year ago. Is that right?
1: I think we just hit the yeah. year anniversary.
0: Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about how your sound has evolved since you recorded the first record?
1: Right after the good uh, the Good Night came out, we did have uh, what became color of hope. We kind of were working on that. And and so if you listen to to Color of of Hope, there's definitely some elements of what we were doing in the Good Nights that are prominent. And then uh, from there we had we had done uh, Guskin came together pretty quick. And if if I remember, it was, this was many Miller Lights ago, so it might not be I might not have the most. Uh, vivid memory of it, but I remember the song Tim coming together pretty damn quick, because it's, A, it's a shorter song, and B, Jason had a a very, very clear vision of what we were doing, and I remember just throwing in a couple of suggestions that didn't really alter things too much. It was just kind of uh, preening and pruning a little bit, if you will, and I think there was an over... We were a little bit more... uh, Slightly more experimental, because we went with the isolationist was much quieter. And we opened the, the the EP with that and we had never done a lot of looping. And uh, then what was, was Oh yeah. Uh, the last floating stage, Jason and Mike really, really, really kind of locked into that. And uh, we got the first half done. And then the second half, again, if memory serves, we had the second half of the last floating stage, just kind of hanging out and we kind of figured out a way to uh, combine the, the two. So it was a cohesive thought instead of just attempting to weld two parts together. Because if you do the Frankenstein bit, sometimes that, that works out. But a lot of times it just sounds like, oh, you just sewed these two parts together. And, you know, you just had two odds and ends of, of pieces of music that you put together. And it doesn't really come across as a complete thought. But for that song, it did. And, you know yeah. that's an
0: interesting an interesting comment because that's one of the the signatures to me of this whole record is those little surprises and interludes in in the songs and I'm I'm curious to know first of all mechanically you talked a little bit about how you make that work without having it seem disjointed but how do you what's the what's your vision for pulling something like that that's that's kind of disparate together as a whole, and how does that, how do those little things serve the album?
2: Sometimes, sometimes, like, we'll have a really clear idea of this song is going to do this, and then this is going to happen, and we'll figure out what happens after that. Like, that that tends to be a lot of how I tend to approach songwriting is that rather than think about, okay, we got verses and choruses mm-hmm. and pre choruses and a bridge, and like, you know, that we've already gotten to four different specific parts right there. I try to like really navigate like one to three parts. Like, hey, this part A goes really well with part B and I might have a part C. But I try not to really get too far ahead of myself because if you put a really rigid framework on something, I think that it doesn't leave a lot of room for other people to kind of put their thumbprint on stuff. And I think that, you know, as we as Taylor kinda of mentioned before, like being a three piece, like you really lean on each other. And I think that in order for everyone to Find like their equal place in a song. I think that you have to give other people the opportunity to contribute and interpret and kind of find themselves a part of that process, as opposed to you know someone being just like a drill sergeant of riffs. But I think that when we come up with something like like Last Living Stage is another good example, like where we had something really specific that was already a rehearsed part, and we didn't really know what we wanted to do with it. We just knew that this this is a cool part, and we practiced it, and we all thought it was really cool, and my, my mantra when it comes to a lot of stuff is, if it's good, then I'll remember it, and, you know, so if we come to band practice, and the first thing that Mike says to me is, hey, let's play that part again, then I know it was good, because he remembers it, and I remember it, and, you know, we can jump back in, and we can start playing it again, so Last floating Stage, the end of that song, is a good example of, you know, we had something that was rehearsed in a complete thought, um, and we just found the opportunity to, you know, kind of slot it into a song
0: and have it fit really, really nicely. The song for me on the, the newest record is uh, The Isolationist that kind of encapsulates that, that idea. You know, it's very, it's almost purely instrumental. It's very atmospheric and almost entirely different from the rest of the record. And I'd, I'd love to hear your ideas on how that came together.
2: Yeah, the the big thing for me was that the part, the beginning part is, because there's, there's obviously a lot going on instrumentally, but the, the key thing is that there's three primary parts that are car loops that are laid one on top of the other, and I just, it probably started with me just playing it in between us, you know, rehearsing and just kind of noodling on something, and then someone saying, hey, that's cool, how does that go, and then kind of sitting with it and kind of seeing how it kind of grew but I think when I when I kind of zoom out and I look at Tunguskin as like a whole record it feels like an opening song to me because it starts I mean the whole song is just one giant build-up like that's that's essentially like all it really does it gets louder and louder and louder and louder and then the crescendo of all of it is going into the song Tunguskin after that so it's mechanically, if you look at the song, acts as a very long-winded intro to the whole record, um, even though it's, if I'm not mistaken, I think, like, the longest or the second longest song on the whole record. So it's kind of long for an intro because it feels like a whole song, but it it serves a purpose of really kind of, like, setting the table, um, having someone kind of, like, really feel like they're sort of, like, being, like, immersed in the record before it gets super, super loud and aggressive. Because I think, again, When you have a record that's a lot of loud parts, it can start to sound kind of redundant to be turned up super, super loud the whole time. So I think that, especially if you listen to the whole EP front to back, you know, the EP, you know, big explosion at the end, like, you know, the the song ends, and then the record starts over, and it's like you start back at that low volume once again. And so I think it's a really nice way to kind of, like, get people sort of set up to, to kind of sit down and, like, really enjoy the record.
0: Let's give people a chance to hear it. This is The Isolationist off of Tunguskin by Trita. <laughs> Jason, you you brought us into that song by talking a little bit about some of the loops and the guitar parts uh, that you brought in, and and I want to ask about live recording a little bit later, live performance a little bit later. But it, it's it strikes me that that kind of uh, manipulation of sounds is makes for a challenging, or let's say complex time in the studio, and I'm curious to know. Kind of what your studio recording process is like.
2: So we have always and exclusively, and probably for the foreseeable future, we'll only be recording with a gentleman named Adam Tucker, who runs Signature Tone Recording uh, down in South Minneapolis. And Amen. Adam is yeah, Adam is Adam is the man. He is just he's a great engineer. Um, the way that he records and the way that he commands recording software is like playing an instrument um he's he's like the unofficial fourth member of the band uh in a, <laughs> we just you know he's he's you know he's he's the hired gun um he's he does a lot for us as far as like he's bringing out the most in our, in our sound when we go record I think that when when I go record and when there's you know a lot of layers and complexity and and things like that the the key thing in that adam and the core difference and I think one of the things that Adam and I like don't disagree on, but we definitely have like kind of bump heads on with each other is I'm, I'm very, very into the click um, and really maintaining like a pretty strict like click grid and working off of that so that I can layer those things like seamlessly and that they sound like a very, a very like clean and like put together kind of like feel. And Adam, I think does a really good job of kind of not pushing entirely against that, but reminding me that like it, that we're still a band, like we play live and we sound a certain way live. And if you go too far away from that, there is something that you lose with the magic of playing live. And so yeah, that's an that interesting,
0: yeah, that's an interesting comment. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that, Mike. Um, you know, are you, um, especially with some of these more complex time signatures, do you feel like you're a slave to the click because of Jason's rigidity or is that, uh, and does he give you room to play?
3: Ooh, that's, that's kind of tough. Um, you be careful with how you answer that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there, there are moments where it's not um, – there are moments Jason will let me get away with drifting away from the click a little and kind of, kind of dance and play with it a little more. But then there are most certainly moments where I need to be on the nut and I just can't uh, deviate from what's happening. And I, I feel like I understand those going into recording, and and, it, and I really think it shows in the albums. You, you know, you can kind of tell when I'm taking some liberties or when I'm just really dialed in.
0: You know, I'm sure part of the contribution that you want to be able to make, too, is to, is to have a little bit of that playfulness, but also to sort of let your groove hit the pocket, right?
3: Right. I don't think anybody ever is upset with me when I, I deviate from the plan and I... I make it happen at the end of the day.
0: I want to shift gears because you guys came out with something brand new last week. Um, You released a cover of the song Shout by Tears for Fears as a fundraiser for Second Harvest Heartland, and I'm curious to know what your inspiration was for, for the fundraising effort in particular.
2: Shout was kind of a project that I had a moment where I thought it would be a cool idea, and I've been just running with it for a little while, and thankfully... I was successful in convincing Tay and Mike that it was a good idea and they really backed me up and put a lot of work into making it happen too. The fundraiser was pretty specific because I, uh, the company that I work for um, also has done a significant amount of fundraising for Second Harvest Heartland. I think the thing that strikes me about them as an organization is that they are incredibly efficient with what, what they do with their donations. We're coming out of a very, very tumultuous political cycle Um, where a lot of people donate a lot of money and I think that a lot of people um, have criticisms of how politicians use money and how people kind of spin tires and where that money goes and I think that there's a lot of questions about that and I think that Second I think that does a really great job of really stretching out the donations that they get and making the most of it and I think it's a really
0: impactful place to make a donation to. I'm curious to know um, what the backstory is and your interest in, in Shout. I mean, Tears for Fears
2: is one of the one of the best bands of the '80s. Um, songs from the Big Chair is you know nothing but bangers, and so uh, the the thing about Shout, I think for us is that it's when okay. So if it were really up to all of us in terms of what we could probably pull off, everybody wants to rule the world is like maybe the best song of the entire '80s, and I know Mike for sure agrees with me on that. Um, and it's, it's unequivocally 100%. Bright, yeah it, it, it's it's say it, in, bright, say it louder i know <laughs> it, it's this bright poppy just incredibly written song uh it has this amazing shuffle beat to it which is just hilarious that there's this like number one song with this incredible timeless song that's to a shuffle beat but <laughs> the thing about shout is that like it's a pretty dark song um not only like lyrically but also like sound-wise, like, it's not, like, that upbeat, everybody wants to rule the world, head over heels, like, even the Tears for Fears version of Mad World is, like, pretty, like, kind of, like, bubblegummy sounding, but Shout is, like, a straight-up, like, dark
0: sounding song. Your version of it is is pretty faithful to the original. You haven't taken a ton of liberties. I mean, there's it's very much a try to sound, but it still maintains that sort of homage to the original, and I'm curious to know... Um- how you decide where the trade offs are, keeping it feeling like the original but making it a try to song you know, for example, there's a just a tiny little guitar solo right before the last verse that's very much in keeping with your sound, and so I'm just curious to to hear your thought process creatively as you started working that song
2: I, I did a lot of the arrangement for the song and kind of knew going into it that. The really core value was that I was going to basically sub in a whole bunch of guitars instead of keyboards. Even though there is a whole bunch of synth on that I that I also recorded on that. The big thing was that I was just replacing a lot of the a lot of the synth sound with guitar sounds. The bass is also a uh, programmed bass that was also replaced by, you know, a string instrument instead. And so it was just kind of like a reimagining of the song in terms of different instruments playing parts that were essentially the same. I think the thing that really ties it together and makes it sound like us is Taylor's vocals, because I think that they're really recognizable. I think that you can tell really quickly that it's him that's singing. It's that, and it's the snare drum. The snare drum is like, you hear the snare start, and like, again, it's probably because I've heard Mike's snare a lot, but like, you hear the snare drum, and it's just like, oh, that's Mike playing drums. Like... There's, there's things that feel very very trite about it. Also, I tried to sing... We, we went in with, like, a pretty loose plan. Like, I knew I was going to do guitars, and I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a swing at vocals. I'll see how it goes. And I totally fucking bombed the vocals. They were just... They were <laughs> dumpster fire. They were trash. And Taylor went in there, and he was like, yeah, I guess I'll give it a try. And he just, like... And he crushed it. So, um... I'm very, very thankful that in the uh, in the circumstance of having an alternate band member that can step up to the plate, um, I was uh, definitely uh, saved by Taylor in terms of uh, his his amazing vocal performance on that.
0: It's it's got it's got to be fun when you know that you guys can uh, can pick each other up, and uh, and keep the keep the original vision together regardless of who's uh, who's taken uh, whatever role, right?
1: Uh, it does come down to being able to trust one another. And having respect for one another and, and what you do, and uh, so it's it's been it's been really 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 uh, easy to uh, to work with Mike and Jason. And when it comes to shouts, Jason was the true MVP because he went in there and had a, a, a total vision, laid everything down. We had Mike go, and we were able to get the drums down very quickly. The bass was pretty much coloring inside the lines, and then Jason just marched through an ocean of guitar and synth parts and then uh the the vocals were just a, a bit of a of a speed bump and then i went in there and did my best and so yeah it, it comes down to being able to rely on one on one another and uh, a trust thing
0: it it seems as though you guys have a pretty robust and varied songwriting process. I've heard you talk about, you know, somebody brings in a little riff here or there, somebody brings in an idea for uh, a lyric, but then like with Shout, it sounds like that was almost entirely baked with the exception of some of the the fleshing out. So talk a little bit about how you guys bring songs to life.
2: I I mean, it's it's just anybody that has an idea, like we I, I think I think one of the one of the terms that we use pretty loosely at band practice is that we have a rule that is you don't poo poo things. Anybody that has an idea like deserves to be heard out. It doesn't mean that we're going to like write that song into stone or write that part into stone, but if you have an idea, I think that we just try to nurture an environment where people can say the things they want to say, try to figure out the parts they're trying to figure out. Because it, even even though like you can't go and play. Guitar by yourself and expect it to feel the way that it does when I play with other people. The same way you can't play bass. The same way you can't play drums. And so you have to ask the people around you to help bring these things to life. Um, and so I, I, I think that like songs have started with you know Mike simply pe- like playing a beat to. Uh, Taylor bringing in a part, to me bringing in a part. Um, sometimes there's arrangements, sometimes there isn't. Sometimes we'll start band practice by just, you know, we got, we're fortunate that we have a pretty cool practice space, and so we'll get the band practice, and we'll turn off the lights, and we'll turn on the the cool dim lights, and we'll just kind of play, and sometimes stuff comes out of that too. So it's it's a it's a really like it's a really easy going process for us.
0: How long does it take for you guys to feel like a song is baked? <laughs> that totally
1: depends. Sometimes, some some of the songs, uh, it's been months and months and months, like close to a year. Sometimes, if we're, it, it really depends on how often we can get in there. Uh, I mean, twenty twenty for everyone has been complete horseshit. So we haven't been as productive as we have been in the past. But that's just because everything is turned upside down. So we will. We, we usually take at least a, a couple months. Obviously, we want to streamline the process, but there's always, like, the rough draft, and then you will demo it, whether that's just on a cell phone or... We've, uh, the, for Tunguskin, we uh, went to uh, a friend who was able to record, and we were able to do a couple of kind of quick and dirty demos. And uh, at one point, we decide that it's done instrumentally. And then we put, we write vocals over it, but, uh, nine and a half times out of 10, uh, instruments come first. And then we, we put the vocals over it and I have like a, a vast and expansive junk drawer of, uh, of words. And I will just, uh, come up with melodies and then, uh, kind of write a story that, uh, if, if each, each picture, excuse me, each song was a picture, then uh, I just do my best to, to tell the story, or Jason will have uh, words as well, and then we'll, we'll kind of put our heads together and go from there. But uh, ideally, it's a couple months, but sometimes it takes a lot longer.
0: I'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, lyrics, Taylor, because the, to me, your, your lyrics are very ethereal, um, sort of metaphoric, and, and a little bit enigmatic, and I'm curious to know the messages of the stories that you're trying to lead with people
1: it depends from song to song. Some of them are love songs. Some of them are me with, I have a, a clear picture in my head, whether it's a painting or a photograph, and I'm just singing what I see to try and get the other person to, to kind of have that meme, if you will, or that idea uh, in their head. So uh, Intend is about wanting to heal and get better and change and uh you it, that starts with you having an intention to do that you 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 get up one morning and say you know what enough's enough i'm 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 going to change and i'm willing to change and i i, I want to get better uh the isolationist is about being by yourself and uh, wanting to to it's, with the isolationist Uh, there are multiple angles that you can take with that. It's either being by yourself or sometimes you'll be with people that make you feel completely alone and you want to be anywhere but there. And so that's kind of, and it's kind of about leaving and uh, starting a new chapter. And uh, yeah, so there's, there's songs that I do and then there are certain songs that, that Jason does and it's kind of open to interpretation uh, but yeah some of them are love songs and those you know a tale as old as time sometimes they're uh, a little bit uh, you know I use flowery language or I'm kind of vague uh, sometimes brevity is awesome and then sometimes uh, being very very specific but it seems like there's no meaning whatsoever is also a uh, a way to go so each song
0: is different since we've been in lockdown, you talked a little bit about how hard it's been to get together and kind of get in the groove in the studio, but also it's had an impact on people's ability to perform. Um, you guys haven't had a performance for a while as a result of that, but, you know, thinking back to when you could perform, what, what would you say is a good way to summarize what you do on stage? Loud. <laughs> nice. Uh...
1: We, we we go for like a, a complete thought now that we have uh, a few more arrows in our quiver with songs, we can do softer songs and then kind of blend them and kind of uh, have them lead into louder parts. So we can, we can do the isolationist and then have that go right into Tunguskin just like uh, on, on the, the EP and we can, for the longest time, we would end with Bluer Sky, which was the last song on, on the good night. And, and, and that's kind of uh, kind of more of like a, a longer journey of a song where it's eight minutes and kind of goes all over the place. And uh, we, we just kind of have uh, our, own, our own aura. It's, there's, there's some pauses within the sets for us to engage the audience. Uh, I'm, I'm far from a uh, a talented public speaker, but you, you have to thank the the venue for existing because those are disappearing by the day now more so than ever. And you have to thank the other bands for helping put together the show and whatnot. And you want to be part of the the community. No one's you know I we don't go up there and pretend that like it's it's all for us or anything like that. We kind of have our own mindsets we do have uh, our own kind of low budget trashy light show where we shut off all of the lights and we have our own uh colorful lights that we have that uh uh kind of puts us in in the trida realm if you will and that kind of sets the mood so we don't have to be reliant on if the house show has the you know the the, the bar can lights uh that some of the other places have and uh yeah it, it's just more of a uh uh, for years, we, I've always said that we're like a watch band. Like you don't you don't really mosh to us or or, or do anything. You don't really dance. You just kind of. You, we've had shows where people just sit there the entire time and just watch us, even though it's like really heavy. It is kind of it's kind of difficult to dance to twenty three eight. Like I'll, I'll give them that. Like that's it, it, it,
3: it, it,
1: it's so like I, I'm never I'm never offended when people just stand there and just watch us because there's a lot going on and there's a lot of layers to it and we, we're we playing in all of these bizarre times and even though uh, they don't come off as bizarre times unless you like sit there and try and bob your head to it uh, because it's, what you have, Mike has a really, really, really digestible beat or the, the guitar riff is uh, so boneheaded that it doesn't seem like it's in seven uh, but when you count it out, it is but if you were to try and do like you know uh, the Macarena or something to it, uh, you wouldn't be able to because it it, it trips up over itself. Uh, so yeah, I, I super miss playing playing shows because that was there, there's a catharsis to it. You know when 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 I write the songs or the lyrics, they, it comes from a place of you know I, I'm I'm trying to turn uh, venom into ambrosia. I, I things in my life that make me sad or piss me off. I want to be able to yell or sing about them. Uh, so it makes me feel better. So there is a catharsis to play in live. And I think all three of us, not, none of us ever phone it in, even if there's five fucking people there. We'll, we, 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 we want to, we want to play because that's what we do. And uh, there's an inherent drive for us to perform. And we spend all this time and effort behind closed doors coming up and, and working on our craft that, uh, you know, we, we, we want to show it off even if it's to a handful of people. So, uh, so I, I do miss playing shows and, uh, but it, there, there has been uh, downtime to work on, on other things. So it's, uh, you just got to take it a day at a time.
0: You, you mentioned Tunguskin a little bit earlier, being able to play that out of um, the isolationist, and that, Tunguskin strikes me as a song that would be really fun to, to both play live and to see you play live. And I'm curious to, to hear your thoughts on playing that song. Playing that one live is just,
3: it's always a great time. Every time I think about that song, I think about when we played it at Blush. And I think we came out with that. We came out swinging and people just lost their minds and Jason all gotten trampled or uh, crushed by his own amps. And you know, the song's awesome. It riffs. It's a lot of fun.
0: It, uh, it seems really groove heavy. It seems like it's, it's one of those that just has a, has a feel to it that would be a really fun connection. You, and so do you always play it like early in the set?
1: If we do the isolationist, then we always go into Tim Guskin just because that's, that's how it is on the EP. It, yeah. it, it is super groove heavy because it is a shitload of different time signatures where it goes from 23-8 to 7-8 to uh, then at one point we do the, the 5 bits at the end uh, with 5 eights. It's a constant change of time signatures. But it, it's so, the, the parts are so straightforward that you really don't know that it's in one of those weird Blacko time signatures until you count it out. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, it's one of those don't screw up because we can easily train wreck it. If, if Mike and Jason get lost, then we're all looking at each other and no one knows what the hell to do. Uh, but luckily, we we practice enough and uh, just make sure to follow. We, we, we seem to be able to follow one another well enough where we we've, we've yet to have the where you stop,
0: <laughs>
1: which is, yeah, that, that's, I, I'm, I'm
0: thankful for that. Well, it seems like a pretty good uh, lead-in to the song. We've, uh, we've kind of built it up pretty heavily, and this is Tenguskin by Trita. was Guskin by Trida the title track from their second EP. Uh, Gentlemen, I know that, you know, you haven't had a real chance to be in the studio much, but uh, are you writing new music while you're sort of on hiatus from live performance?
2: We've been really fortunate that we haven't really... Like, when we locked down back in March, um, we obviously locked down and didn't see each other, and we probably... We really connected with one another probably at the end of April after stuff started to kind of like level out a little bit. And at that point, like we were like, okay, like we can get together. Our space is big enough where we can spread out. We'll wear masks. Like we, you know, we, we put together like a really good game. It's a game really good game. game. And there's some, there's some bumps in the road. Like I, I, I unfortunately, I was, I was doing some volunteer work at a food shelf and got a call from a contact tracer at the health department saying that someone I was working with tested positive for COVID. So I had to quarantine. Thankfully, I didn't get COVID. Um, but it's one of those things where, like, we just talk candidly with one another about, you know, where we're at, if we could have potentially been exposed. We keep each other really safe. Um, we just talk about it. And so, because of that transparency and trust with one another, we've been able to practice through the majority of the year. And so, that was where we had the opportunity to do things like shout. Um, you know, we've got we've got a, a few new songs that are that are cooked up. There's there's two songs that are like. That are pretty much in the bag at this point, um, but we're definitely like getting to the point where we're, I feel like starting to hit our stride a little bit more with what whatever the next release is going to be in terms of like a collection of songs. But like Taylor mentioned at the at the top of the podcast, like we're uh, we're taking a little bit of a break just because cases are you know worse than they were when we locked down originally. Um, holidays are going to be really really crazy. I hope everyone is you know going to stay safe and wear a mask and. Not generally be a dipshit, and uh, you know, not it, just keep each other safe. <laughs> and so we're we're doing the same thing by just uh, taking a little bit of a break. But I'm looking forward to picking back up soon.
0: Well, I'm sure a lot of your fans are excited to uh, to hear no more new music uh, from you. Do you have any plans to release anything in the coming few months?
2: We're uh, we're in that stage where we're just kind of brewing songs and then we'll, once we have that that collection of songs done then we'll probably start thinking about recording but i think that we're all anxious enough to the point where i would i think that I, I i don't know where everyone else is at we haven't really talked about this specifically but i imagine us like recording sometime you know hopefully by the summer
1: i i've i've really been digging the new the new batch of songs that we're working on it's not a complete departure But it also, from what we've done, but it also isn't, like, recycled shit that we've already done. Because you see that a lot with bands, where they have one good song or one good vibe that they just kind of recycle and kind of go back to that well. And they just, it sounds like the same song, but reimagined. And we haven't really done that. And we can continue to grow and do things just outside of our comfort zone without being a complete departure or be... Uh, inauthentic.
0: It sounds sounds like you've got some exciting things in in the works. In the meantime, where do we send people to find the stuff that you have uh, put out?
1: So our Bandcamp is trida t r i t a dot bandcamp dot com. Or if if you use the the great algorithm and just search try to bands all of our shit pops up. So that's like, we we don't have a website yet, but, uh, between Instagram and Facebook and Bandcamp, we are three very easily identifiable and findable dudes.
0: Awesome. Well, gentlemen, Mike, Jason, and Taylor, this has been a ton of fun. I really got, had a great time talking with you guys and, uh, looking forward to seeing you when the world lets us get together in person.
1: I promise you'll be able to hear it. Please bring your
0: plugs.